The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. All right, welcome. Well, hey, we are in the midst of a new series called Pause, and we're taking the time to slow it down a little bit and go through the book of Psalms. And we, we're reading some of the poetry there and the writings and the essays. Uh, this is the Facebook of the day and the blogs of the day. People were processing out their their emotions and their feelings and trying to understand how to follow God and how to experience them in their stories at their time of their lives. And so we've had a few guest speakers here and there uh, come from different campuses and share with us. And this morning from our own campus, from my own home, my wife, Lilia Martinez. Come on up on. Here I am again, kicking and screaming. (laughs) What I mentioned last time was why I love the Psalms in that I saw that that's where we see how much God recognizes our humanity. We're, um, we're touch, where we know that he knows what we're going through, that ordinary life is happening all around us. And he's been here, but he was here among us. I mean, physically, just as surely as you're sitting next to the person next to you, he was here. And yet somehow we think like, but did you really know what it was like to be us, to be going through the ordinary things in our lives? And that's what I love about David, because you know, we think, David, this is a guy that you heard about, you know, all these extraordinary things, you know, King, um, David and Goliath and all that, but we forget this guy had a job just like we did. I mean, he was a very ordinary person. He was just a guy. He was, had a job. In fact, one of the jobs that were, were considered kind of a low dirty kind of, you know, nobody respected that kind of job. And, you know, I don't want to say an equivalent of what that job would be now because some of you might be doing it. I was doing it, you know. I had some of those jobs where, you know, it just seemed like, can the spiritual world really be touching this ordinary life? And that's what I love is that he was living this. And, you know, he lived and he was a poet on top of that. He came from a place where he was just nothing and was going to a place where his life, we read about it thousands of years later, but as a human being, he wrote these things down, things that he was going through, his experiences with God, and it resonates with our soul because it's that spiritual life touching this ordinary life. What he was going through here is, um, he was sort of promised a future that seemed really great, but what he was living at that time was probably stuff that we'd never go through. I mean, he was being, his life was in danger. It was actually in danger. He was in the middle of a desert, away from the country he knew, away from everything that he knew. And he was going through an extreme time in his life. The future was so uncertain. He had no idea what was coming. Um, He was nobody in the past. You know, a few little highlights in his life, he was nobody in the past. What I love about him is that he stops and he starts writing down, no, but what is real? What does matter? What matters? And then I, I love what he writes in Psalm 63 in the, um, in the middle of what he was going through. And I could, I, I'm imagining him just writing it at night. Um, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest foods. 
With singing, my lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. More than anything, I can see how easy it is for us to live in anything but the present. And I think we all struggle with that because life has been happening to us. So often we live either in the past, thinking because of what the opportunities I miss, because of the mistakes I've made, because of the family I grew up in, because of where I was born or who I am, I could never be such and such, or I could never do such and such. We lament and we live in the past and it binds us and we think that there is no hope and that we've missed the boat, that somehow life has passed us by. And that's a lie. And then we live also in the future, thinking, my life is not now. When I get married, that's when my life will start. I don't think we think this consciously, but I think in the back of our minds, it's always helping. When I pay off those loans, my life will start. When I leave this person, my life will start. When I get that job, my life will start. Our lives are happening right now. No matter where you are right now, no matter how ordinary it seems, no matter how transitional it seems, we're living our lives right now. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to not live in the present because everything, you know, everything pushes us to look at the future, a very uncertain future sometimes, and a very scary looking future sometimes, or, or our past that we feel binds us. I guess what I love about this is we're reminded that God meets us in the present. There's holiness in the ordinary because that's where he meets us. And even in the ordinary things that we do, and, I, and I, I, I forget this sometimes and I need to remember that everything I do right now is an act of worship, is an act of honoring him. You know, I wash dishes in his name. I, I try to be the best. I, I want the smell of heaven to permeate everything I do, this ordinary life, to make it extraordinary. We are straddling two realities. Yes, we are spiritual beings. We're all spiritual beings. A famous author, George MacDonald, talked about how everyone is longing for God. You know how he says right here that his body longs for him. What you're longing for, what you're looking for, even though you don't know it, it's him. But we're looking for it everywhere else and we think it's not enough. And it's almost this training to come back and settle down, stop. And I love the whole emphasis of this series. And we went to a leadership conference last night again to stop, realize God is meeting us here now. It's in those little things, those decisions that we make every day, those little things that we go through today in the ordinary things, the simple things that we th think don't matter, our little relationships, relationships with our families, just e the way you do everything, everything should smell of God. And the future fixes itself. He holds the future. It'll be all right, no matter what it looks like. It'll be all right. He's with you. And our past, he redeems the past. He takes it, the rubble of what we've done. He's always made such beautiful things of our past. So mostly that. I, I love it that he meets us now, that our lives are happening down. Don't wait for it to happen. Live your life now. Be calm. Be the best we can be. Let's be the best we can be at this present time. Thank you. Good, thanks, hon. Hey, um, we have a guest from um, one of the other campuses.
And some of you are here today because of some of the Serve LA functions and community events that we'll be doing. Uh, the meeting today will be at my home at 1 p.m. But right now, let's give a warm Whittier, Mosaic Whittier welcome to uh, Adrian Kohler. Hey guys, How, are we doing all right? Yeah, I love being over here. This is my second time over here and uh, it's just so warm when I walk in. Um, looking into some of these uh, psalm passages, if you guys have explored them or not, you might um, really have uh, an amazing experience in there. And the reason why for me is it's, every time I read the psalms, it connects and, and reaffirms deeply that these scriptures, these historic ancient uh, holy scriptures are actually so relational. And um, when, I, when you hear relationships, you might think you relationships with other people, or maybe you and you hear David's, you know, the psalm we just listened to, a lot of conversations between uh, him and God. And then, but there's also the very vital uh, relationship between, in some ways, between you and yourself. You guys ever realize that? It's one of the most important relationships you have to cultivate and nurture is how you look at yourself and how you handle yourself and how you respond and how you let yourself respond and what you do with your emotions and especially uh, in times of crisis and in times of pain and in times of sorrow and things like that. You guys ever, you know, realize that? It's, uh, it's for me something I've really been investigating over the last couple of years, um, even more, and partially because of what I do. You know, I've, I, I rarely would say I have a tough life. I, I, some days I say I have, I have a great life, and it, it, no matter what, it's usually really good, and it's mostly just because of perspective. I studied, and I'm a nurse, an intensive care nurse. Yes, I am a male nurse. <laughs> there are not very many men in my profession. Um, 6%, by the way. Anyway, um, in America. But I, 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 uh, I'm around people in crisis all the time, and people in pain and people that just don't know what side is, is up. And even, you know, it, when, you're, when you're in crisis, things just kind of reprioritize, don't they? I mean, when I, I just got married three months ago. I just got married three months ago. Uh, three and a half months ago, my car got stolen. Hmm. <laughs> 10 days before my, my wedding day, I, I woke up to walk down and find that my car was not where I had left it. And, uh, you know, you, people are always, like, so empathetic and, you know, with me. And there's, oh, I'm so sorry. But you know what? It didn't hardly phase me. Why? Because I was getting married in 10 days. They could take my car. As long as they just don't take her, I'm happy. <laughs> you know? And, um, but, you know, in, in times where, where things are, big things are happening or crises are happening, things just get reprioritized. And I wanted um, to look through one of the Psalms today. And looking at David and what he did in the sense of this crisis, the sense of, of pain, the sense of um, adversity. Yes, so we're going to look at Psalm 43. And he says, Vindicate me, O God. Plead for my cause against uh, the ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You, God, are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? I'm going to stop there for just a second. Do uh, you guys ever felt that? Connect with David in this moment? Vindicate me, God. Stand up for me. Will you justify this? And you are God. I'm your kid. Why are you letting this happen to me? And I feel like, for me, one of the, the toughest struggles I have to face myself is if I will let myself get into victimization. And if I let myself feel like I'm the only person in the world uh, that's going through this difficult time. 
Because I think that isolation, that hole we dig to put ourselves in can be one of the most unhealthy ones. And David's going through it right here. Why have you rejected me? Why, why must I go around mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And here the thing turns, verse three. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to dwell, uh, to the place where you dwell. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, oh my God. And then he turns towards himself again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. And so David does something so crucial here that has to become a practice in our own lives. Because when we're in pain or we're in struggle, um, I think it's, it's, we have to take that honest assessment of where we are and speak that to God. But then we also have to take a step back and wonder who God is and what we know about God from a history, from the scriptures, from that reality we know. And then we have to get ourselves aligned with that reality. I was um, working in the intensive care. I used to work pediatric intensive care, which really provides so many unique experiences. And one experience was with a guy named Lewis. And Lewis was, had a very rare um, um, disease and where he would continually create tumors in his right atria, which is like a part of your heart, which is bad news. And they tried chemo with him a couple times. And uh, it, had, it, made it made it smaller, made it smaller, made it smaller, but it just couldn't go away. And, you know, if, uh, the risk of that is that if, if the tumor were to break off, um, it would kill him instantly. Um, and so they were actually, they had decided after all this, they couldn't go in and do surgery. They couldn't get him a new heart. He was just kind of there. And they said, you know what, we're just going to stop treatment. And he had made that decision. And uh, their Make-A-Wish Foundation, you guys know Make-A-Wish? You've heard of them before. They just come in and make people's lives. You know, they connect with these kids and give them whatever they want. And so Lewis was a, an aspiring musician. And, um, and so he had asked for these, you know, these guitars and all that kind of stuff. And they, I guess, you know, there are not many men in my profession. And they, they knew I played guitar. And so they said, hey, will you take care of, of Lewis uh, on this day when the Make-A-Wish happens? And so, I, of course, sure, not really knowing his story uh, up to that point, but sure. So I got to spend um, a Thursday with Lewis. And on Wednesday, I also worked and I heard that the chaplain was coming through. And one of his local priests was coming through, and they were going to baptize him. He was Catholic, and he wasn't ever baptized as a child. And so um, I came in Thursday, knowing that, that Wednesday had happened, and I, so I started asking him about, you know, hey, oh, I, hey, Lewis, what happened last night? You know, what happened when you, when you got baptized? What happened? And he said, oh, my grandma made me do it, you know. You guys have all had that pressure, right? <laughs> my grandma made me do it. And so, um, but he said, but you know what, before that, my, my dad came in. And uh, Lewis's fa- Lewis had been separated from his father for five years because his dad beat him. And uh, this moment, I'll get teary-eyed as I tell this story, but this moment, um, right before, uh, uh, during the midst of all this, uh, there was restoration and beauty because the father had said, you know what, all of the pain that I had caused, I needed uh, to be forgiven. And that was paired up along with actually Lewis being baptized. And that next day, we had guitars, we had fun, we sang, but as I started talking to him about his baptism, he started, I started saying, well, what did that mean to you? And he didn't really know. And I said, well, I was baptized. You want me to tell you what that meant to me? And, um, 
Sure. And it was beautiful there because in the intensive care, it's crazy, right? People are all over the place. It's like a madhouse, doctors coming in, nurses running in. It's just very, always crazy. But as soon as we had that conversation, it was as if there was an old school force field put up. Like old school being like when you're a kid, when you just ask for a force field and nobody else can come in because uh, what was happening there spiritually, it was like there was a force field put up because we had just the two of us for about 30 minutes. And I get to walk with him through um, the, the beauty and the restoration um, that God can bring to his life while his days were very short. And we talked through the pain of his father. We talked through the pain of his present. And we talked through the hope of his future. And uh, nobody came in. And we got to pray together that day and got to see this boy who had been lost, who had been hurt, who had been battered and broken. And I got to introduce him to the real living God that was there to restore and there to heal and he was in a place where he was open and reached out for this God. And that's when restoration happened. And so um, on any of my bad days, I get to remember the story of Lewis. And Lewis passed away just a few days later. Um, but I get to remember that when, when I'm open and I'm ready, God restores me. And when I reach out to him and get out of my hole. And when Lewis was ready and open, God restored him. And um, I hope that that is our, all of our story here. Thanks. All right. You know, uh, I appreciated what my wife and Adrian had to say. You know, my, my wife was a person that, that, that had to ask a lot of questions about who she was as a woman and as a person because, well, for the first 17 years of, of our marriage, she was home. And, and moms and homeschooling and all that, you don't get a lot of applause. You know, they don't give out awards. There's no trophies. Uh, you know, her trophy came home every day after work. But other than that... <laughs> You know, somehow that was not meant to be funny. I was. <laughs> I'm home. Why? You know, it's just. Um... And there were days that were tough for everybody. You know, there were days everybody was crying and the kitchen was cold. I said, oh, we're going out to eat. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough. And, and I'm sure there was days that she had asked those questions about who she was as a person and a mom and, and saw the value in that. And, and what's interesting is how her life has changed and what she gets to do now. Adrian, I appreciate what you had to say as well. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed listening to your talks, and I remember a couple years back in Eric's backyard, you were sharing some stuff, and I thought you had a good, good word there as well. But, you know, here's what's interesting. What happens when you are a follower of Jesus, and, and you're doing well, and you're doing it over and over again, and, and nothing changes? I mean, what happens when it just blows, bites, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> and, and, which are normally, you know, are, are not bad attributes, but when it's, you're trying to live a good life, it's just like, wow, this is really, I'm tired of trying to do the right thing. It's not paying off. A few years ago, um, I was part of another community, and I remember it was uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I think on a Wednesday. It, it was hot, it was in the summer, and I was, uh, how many know where the Orange Crush is? Just two of us. Okay, great. Um, for those of you who don't know where the Orange Crush is, the Orange Crush is where every car west of the Mississippi goes to for no apparent reason. And we all stay there and stop and look at each other in the freeway. Hi, how are you? I'm not going anywhere either. <laughs> I had this uh, Mercedes-Benz at the time. It was a station wagon. I was the second owner. And, uh, and I've had, it was a great car, but the air conditioning had just crapped out that, that, that month. And so my... My, what was that, you know, 460 air conditioning? Four windows down with going 60 miles an hour? That wasn't working either. 
And, and just one thing after the other had gone wrong. There were some misunderstandings in the community I was part of. There were some misunderstandings going on in the home. There were just things, one thing after the other. And I recall thinking I, I was really tired of trying to do the right thing. And I actually said in my head, and I, I, I'm surprised I'm alive to tell you, but I actually said in my mind and to my, to my God, you're not worth it. You're not good. You're not even kind. And I'm done with you. And, and the thing is, is that I meant it. And I understood at some level that, that I needed a, a healthy dose of humility. Because I was just an arrogant, arrogant man. But I thought at that point this was humiliation. And there was no fairness involved. There was nothing kind about what he was doing. The problem is, is that I also recognized that he was God. Now, I've always been um, aware of my limitations. Like Dirty Harry once said, good man knows his limitations. <laughs> you had to have seen the movie. And I was aware of them. So even as a young guy, as I was uh, very thin, wiry, um, I always uh, had the sense that if I had to uh, get into an altercation, I had to go nuts quickly. I mean, I had to go for the cheap shot, the really hurting, because I was small. I could not go toe-to-toe with most people. So I had to be dirty about my fighting. But I understood with God, I didn't have that option. He wins. And this is why I thought this was just a big bully in the sky. You know, you, you hold the bag of goodies. You could make this right, right now, and you don't. I've, I've, I've served you, I've been consistent, I've gone through mess, I've been faithful. This is how you treat your servant? I mean, I really thought this. And I, I just said, you know, uh, please just leave me alone at this point. I'll muddle through, you know, I'm not gonna go too crazy, I'll keep my job, I'm gonna stay married, but I'm done with you. Because so far you have proven to be not a good person. You know what was interesting to discover is that I wasn't the only one. I hear what's funny. Uh, I, I, how many of you wear glasses or have contact lenses? Just raise your hand. Okay, so some of you are wearing contact lenses right now. Good. I, I can't do that thing in my eye. You know, I just, I'm not that guy. By the way, have you noticed the creepiest things you do with your eyes when you're a kid? You're like a hero. You know, the kid that can flip his eyelids around? <laughs> he rocks on campus. <laughs> But when you're like 25 or so, that's just stupid. <laughs> so somewhere in between, you have to learn how to stop doing that. Hey, look what I can do, you know. Show me your resume. Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> you're hired. Uh, I'm nearsighted. So when I take these off, all of you look a little fuzzy. Some look better. And, um... <laughs> oh, all right, come on, we're family, right? But I remember I was talking with a, with a friend of mine not very long ago. We were up on a roof, and we were just talking about stuff, and, and our favorite times of the day. And we both mentioned that there was two favorite times of our day, and that was early, early dusk and, and, and early in the morning. Because it just seemed like there was, the light just hit right on everything and everybody. And I recall, even as a junior high school kid, small, uh, even smaller elementary school, that I would sit in, in, in my home when I was alone, None of the kids would play with me, and that I would be watch the, as the light would shift, and not turning lights on in, in, in the home, and, and watch how everything in the house seemed more lovely. And, and oddly enough, even my mom, she was an attractive woman, she still is, she seemed prettier somehow, you know, just the way, and then of course she'd blow it by turning the lights on, why are you sitting here in the dark, you creepy kid? You know? <laughs> this is why I was hiding, and, uh, and yet, the thing is about as followers of Jesus, as human beings, the problem is, is that sometimes we're so short-sighted 
that, that we don't see long term. And because we only see what's immediate in front of us, we assume that what's right here in front of us, what we can see, is everything. And it's not. And that's what I was experiencing that moment on the freeway. It was a period of intense nearsightedness. I could not see past my own pain. And because I couldn't see past my own pain, I, I interpreted everything through that pain. In fact, it was like I took what, was, what I was feeling and made that my reality. This is what the world is like. Now, you've heard me say this before over and over again, so let me just repeat it again. Reality is your friend. Truth is your friend. Your feelings are going to ebb and flow. And sometimes they, they, they correlate with reality, but usually they don't. You can't trust them. What you have to trust is your vision, what you can see. But to make sure that you're seeing clearly, there's only a certain place you can go to get your vision corrected. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why? Well, they have no struggles. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. And therefore, pride is their necklace. And they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, darkness, brokenness. And the evil conceits of their minds it just knows no limits. They're the most creative people I know. And so they scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Now their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, well, how would God know? And does the Most High know anything? You know, does God care? If there is a God, he probably couldn't care, because wouldn't he care enough to stop me? So this is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And this is where David begins to speak, like all of us, in certain times of our lives. Because surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. And all day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. See, this is a... Um, <laughs> my, my wife and I are such contrasts. I mean, it, it just, there's endless contrasts. From the moment we sleep to the moment we wake up. I, I am already falling asleep as I'm hitting the mattress. I mean, I am sitting, I, I, I'm already out, you know. And, and my wife has a tendency to kind of slide into the evening. You know, the light is on as she's reading to kind of just slide down. And, you know, you've heard the story off. You say, hey, it's awfully bright in here. She goes, that's because I'm reading. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And sometimes I text her, it's awfully bright in here. <laughs> but I really like to text her when the phone is someplace else. So she has to go get it, you know. <laughs> I think that's your phone, honey. You know? and, um, but in the morning, I tend to wake up. You know, hey, how are you? Hi, 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 you want to hi? <laughs> yeah, she's annoyed. I get her. And I'll wake up at different hours of the day and just wake up, you know. And I, this morning, I was texting a friend. It was around 3.15. And I thought, okay. 
I'm awake. I'll go to Alhambra. So I went to Alhambra. And actually, I meant to go further. I meant to go to Alhambra to pick up something, since I knew it was going to be there, available to me. And I missed it. I was into L.A., and I turned around, came back, and dude, just driving along, you know, in my pyjamas. And uh, two of you got that. So... Um, But I know some of you wake up and, and, and you, you just wish, you just think it's another day of fresh evil, almost. It's another day that I'm going to experience this sadness and this sorrow. It's another day of vanity and worthlessness. It's another day that I'm going to struggle and feel this incredible sense of loneliness. Right? And here's what's funny. Some of you who, who experience that, and, and I'm, I really understand that, because I've been surrounded by people, people who actually care for me and love me, and it's not about being alone. It's about feeling completely lonely. You just, you just realize that you think, really, no one already gets what you're going through. No one has experienced what you're sensing. No one has struggled as you have, which is completely false. And so for this reason, David, as some of us, was thinking, this wasn't worth it. Why am I doing good? Why do I try to keep myself from the wrong things? Things that have been unhealthy to me in the past. And then we begin to define ourselves by our worst moments. I remember that if I was, you know, since everyone thought I was such a, a vile, nasty, cursing, violent person, well, I'm just going to prove them right. If people think that you're a drunk and a mess, you're just going to prove them right. And so you begin to act out in the ways that are most destructive to you. Almost, and this is the thing that I, I see now, an act of self-loathing. Because surely no one can be this lonely and be loved. And yet David has a moment of sanity and clarity. Because he begins to see the truth. Verse 15. But if I have spoken like that, I would have betrayed your family, your children. And when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. So David, this is the thing, in, in many cases, David just kept it inside. He, he wrote about it. Like some of you, the way you write in your journals, or you write blogs, or you, you process in books. Because David realized one thing, like you need to realize, that the life you have is the life you pass on. See, if you're a bitter person, that's what you're passing on. I mean, you could try to mask it, you can try to pretend you're something different, but what you are is what you're passing on. You can't pass on what you don't possess. If you don't have a sense of hope, you're not passing it on. If you don't have a sense of what's right and healthy, you're not passing it on. If you don't have a sense of what's clear and good, you're not passing it on. You only have the life you have is the only life you have to give. And David had at least enough sense to keep his mouth shut and said, man, I'm going through this. Maybe no one else is. And if I, if I start to speak it out and just, and just share this, you know, the position that he had as king over Israel, you know, it's like the great pastor of the nation. I, you know, it'd be like Oprah speaking to everybody and saying, God's not worth it. America's pastor, right? And so David goes back to the place that 
he knew maybe made sense. And this is where his vision was corrected and he began to see long-term. Verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. The rest of this poem has a very confrontational sort of feel to it. I'm going to read it, but I just want to set the tone correctly. This is not really necessarily the, the, the posture of a follower of Jesus. But here is the critical thing. See, David entered into a building that was not much larger than this to the temple. And in some cases, the thing that's most important for us to enter into is that moment of connection with God. And I want you to know that for for this year, our theme for the year is going to be connectivity. Connecting with God, connecting with others. And this is where David, like all of us, had to find that place to connect with the God that he knew, the God that corrects our vision, the God that feeds us, the God that gives us sight, the God that gives us clarity, the God that gives us hope, the God that gives us forgiveness, the God that gives us kindness and mercy. And so he could see long-term the end results of people's actions. Now here's the thing. I guess the first question that comes to mind when I I think about that is that where do you go to connect? what, What do you do when you need to connect to God? Now, some of you are, are those people that you have to do something physical. You know, you got to go for a run. You got to be outside. You got to, you know, that's a cry for help. I get that. And uh, some of you need to go into a room that's dark and dimly lit. You know, you need to go to your bat cave. That's me. The rest of us are healthy and normal. You know, you need to go to that place. Some of you need to create. My, uh, my wife, she'll end up either cleaning or creating something. She has to do something like that. Actually, there's three C's, cleaning, creating, or cooking. And during that time, she's, I know she's, she's talking and communicating to God. You know? Others of you have to write. Some of you are musicians, you have to sing. Some go for walks, it's nature. That does it for you. You have to go catch a wave and feel the power of the ocean underneath you. But whatever it is, understand you need to get there. However often you need to get there, go there. So that God can speak to you and tell you the truth and clear your vision. It is absolutely worth it to, to be committed to him. And here's what I've noticed. In the, uh, what is it, 16? So what is that? Oh, gosh, 35 years I've been a follower of Jesus. The only regrets I have are the times that I did not fully commit to him. There's never been a time I thought, ah, oh, jeez, I obeyed and it wasn't, wasn't worth it. Didn't pay off. What was I thinking? Oh, that was a waste of two years. Boy, reading the Bible, that was stupid. Serving other people, man, that was a waste of time. Why am I talking like this? <laughs> you know, we do voices at our house, whatever we're doing with people. Uh, what was that? It was Batman. It was Batman? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I wish. (laughs) Who are you? I'm Batman. Not so much. Let me read the rest of what David says. So David connects with God, and he has a clearer vision of who he is and what what the outcome will be of our decisions. And listen, understand that there's no one decision that defines you for the rest of your life. And there's no one action 
that makes or breaks you, but it's the accumulation of all those actions and decisions that you make that finally make you. And so it should never be a surprise where you end up. You've decided where to go. God gives us the dignity of our choices and our freedom. He gives you the ultimate dignity to choose your destiny. That's an incredible, incredible responsibility. But he bets everything on love. Verse 18. Now David speaks to God. Listen, uh, surely you place them on a slippery slope. You, you, you cast them down the ruin. And how suddenly they're destroyed. Continually slept away by terrors. And so they're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you would despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant because I was a brute beast before you. The way I thought and what I was thinking. Yet... I'm always with you. And you hold me by your right hand. So you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you take me in the glory. So whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So my flesh and my heart may fail. My God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. And those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... It's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Hey, how many of you got a tea light when you walked in here today? Remember, already cut the light for a quick second. Underneath, there's an on and off switch. If you are a person that's been a little short-sighted lately, I want you to do me a favor, turn your light on. If you're the person who has wondered, is God ever going to be good to me? Turn your light on. If you're a person that you've a little tired this morning, and you just need to be encouraged by his voice and his kindness, go ahead and turn your light on. If you're the person that I'm a follower of Christ and I'm, I'm glad that I know that God is near me, and loves me. And I can't wait to share this what I know with other people. Go ahead and turn your light on. I want everybody to hold their lights up for a second. See, in this community, I want you to understand something, that it is Christ who illumines us. And by his illumination, everything is illuminated. We understand each other, our destinies, our future, who we are, and who, that we're meant to serve humanity. So I'm going to take a moment. You can go ahead and put those lights on for just a second. I'm going to take a moment here to pray with you. And let's, let's enter into that place where we can connect to God. Let's enter in that place where our vision is corrected, where we are encouraged. Because we've taken the time to enter the presence of God himself. Can you join me in a moment of prayer? First, some Silence. Father, at times I think we are so uncomfortable with silence. We're just filled with so much stuff, so much life. But the very source of life we've pushed out. But um, as we sit here before you, some of us have a lot of junk and baggage and brokenness. 
We wish to hear from you. And not just understand forgiveness, but to actually experience it and the healing it causes to our souls. Father, I pray for my, my friends, my brothers, and my sisters. For the people who are tired, strengthen them. People who are discouraged and considering embracing despair and then embracing darkness, that you would encourage them. People who have been flirting with danger, that you would warn them firmly but lovingly of the path that they're setting their foot on. For those of us who are followers, those of us who are your students, your children, help us to be generous and serve people, all people. Illuminate us with your light. Cause us to see far into the future. Help us to remember that where we step and where we go, that heaven and earth are literally intersecting. And that what we do will continue to echo forever in eternity. And that nothing that we do is worthless in your sight. When it's given as an act of service to humanity, to you. Now, just for a second longer, if you wish this morning, even if you don't understand it all, you're not even sure if you buy the whole boat yet, if you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ this morning, you want to make him your, your primary teacher, life coach, you, know, you want him to actually take your life and clean it from the inside out, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real quickly. So if that's you, awesome. Anyone else want to make a quick raise their hand? Father, thank you for moving among us, always moving, always seeking. Pray for this person who's looking to commit to you and enter into a sacred romance with you. Step into a new reality with you. And become a new being because of you. We love you. Breathe into us your life. That we can breathe out your life to others. In service to humanity. For the sake of your son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.